As you take your seats, if you take out your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 36, Genesis 36. And tonight, as the Old Testament often does, there, there is information contained in the Old Testament that is part of what we call the historical record. In other words, God was actually trying to, to give us a little bit of an understanding uh, of those peoples that he would then mention later uh, that would be involved in the history of ultimately Messiah. And so tonight is one of those chapters, and it's a very long genealogy. We're going to look at the entire chapter tonight um, because it's, it's best taken that way. But it provides the backdrop for a very wonderful piece of information when you look at the world, especially today, um, but really throughout history. Israel has had mortal enemies, and those mortal enemies uh, have been around a very, very, very long time. In this case, uh, the historical people, the Edomites. And a lot of times when we use the term Semite or Semitic, um, we have a tendency to confine it just to the Jewish people and very specifically um, to Israel itself. But the truth of the matter is that of the sons of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, there are a number of Semitic peoples, those that are related very specifically to Esau, that are actually Semitic and Arab primarily, or nomadic. We would know them primarily as the Bedouins that wander most of the desert area that really takes up a vast majority of the Middle East and would include parts of Egypt, the northern portions of Egypt, all of the Sinai Peninsula, and certainly all of modern-day Jordan, and then really parts of southern Syria and Lebanon as well. And so tonight we get a little history of these people, and there are some very interesting things that are contained here, and they really provide kind of a little bit of a preview for what lies ahead. And so, if you join me, we'll pray. We'll pick up in verse 1 here in Genesis 36 in the family of Jacob's twin brother, Esau. Father, thank you for your word. Thanks for pre- preserving these, these genealogies, the lineage of these people, because we can still see them today. Lord, it helps us to understand. Uh, that you knew all along what the world's geopolitical climate would look like even here in 2019. And so, God, we ask that you would speak to us. Lord, give us a a word from heaven. Uh, Even though these verses are long lists of names, Lord, in them are names that we will see again. And so we ask that you'd help us to glean from them. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, and now this is the genealogy of Esau, who is Edom. And so the first thing that you need to notice is that the similarity is not just a similarity, it is a similitude, it is that Esau and Edom are exactly the same. So in the Old Testament, whenever Esau is used or Edom is used, it is always referring to either the descendants of Esau or Esau himself. That name simply means red. And Esau took his wives from the daughters of Canaan. And so the land of Canaan, the Canaanite peoples, are the original inhabitants of the land. They include the Philistines of Gath. Uh, They they include uh, the Danites, 
They include a number of various peoples, the Shechemites, uh, that existed in the land that will see the children of Israel come back from captivity, this 400-year captivity, the land will be inhabited by the Canaanites. And so when you travel to Israel, one of the things that is, is marked as you go through the land of Israel is that beyond the history of roughly the Roman period or the Roman occupation of the land that is called Palestine uh, is the previous inhabitants of the Canaanite people. And so you will see this is a Canaanite wall or this is a Canaanite city. And so from those people, Esau is going to select uh, his wives from the daughters of Canaan, so the inhabitants of the land. Ada, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. And of course, it was not until uh, just about 50 years ago that the Hittite people were even believed to be real. They were considered to be a myth found only in Scripture until uh, we began finding inscriptions all over the Middle East, uh, very specifically in southern Syria and Israel, uh, that referenced the actual Hittite people. And so here you have the first mention uh, of the Hittites. And Aholimabath, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zebion, the Hivite, and Basmatha, the Ishmael's daughter, the sister of Nebojoth, and now Ada bore Eliphaz to Esau, and Basmoth bore uh, Ruel. And so we have these long lists of names. And Aliaboth uh, bore Jehush, and Jalem, and Korah. And these were the sons of Esau, born to him in the land of Canaan. And so you have a list of those children that are born to Esau actually in the land of Canaan. And then Esau took his wives, his sons and his daughters, and all of the persons of his household. And that would include those who were in his employ, those who worked for him, uh, those who were his household servants, and uh, took, took those in his cattle and all of his animals and his goods, which he had gained in the land of Canaan, and went, and went to a country away from the presence of his brother Jacob. And for their possessions were too great for them to dwell together. And the land where they were, strangers could not support them because of their livestock. And so one of the things that becomes very, very apparent when you travel to modern day Israel, which has not changed significantly, especially the area that we would call the Negev or the southern part of Israel, uh, along with the Judean foothills, is there is a whole bunch of nothing beyond the Jordan River Valley. Um, It's a very desolate, very dry country. And so during this period of time, there would be limited resources. And being as Canaan would encompass also the Jezreel Valley, which is this central fertile plain that runs from Haifa in the north in modern Israel um, all the way down to the lower Jordan Valley. Uh, Other than that area where there's plentiful water, relative flat ground, and there is uh, an ability to farm in that region and to also uh, graze livestock. If you had very many of anything... Uh, If you put them out on the hills that are in Judea, there would be scant food for all that livestock. And so they begin to split up. And so Esau dwelt in Mount Seir. Now, Mount Seir is a very interesting place. And I'll pop up a map here in just a moment so you can see it. Uh, It is actually in modern-day Jordan. And it's actually in the range of mountains 
um, that are called the Jabal Ashara, which is the, the, the range of mountains that basically divides the Jordan River from interior Jordan today. And remember that Jordan means out of Dan. So in the north of the land of Canaan is Dan, and out of that is where the river makes its makes its initial purge or its initial push out of the ground. The Jordan actually comes from a number of springs. It's not a typical tributary fed river. It actually pops up out of the ground. You can go to a spot and a vast majority of the Jordan either pops up in the springs of Banyas or over in the springs that are located in southern Lebanon and literally the Jordan just pops up out of the ground. And so out of Dan means that the Jordan flows out of the territory that belonged to Dan. The modern country is defined by the river. The river sets the boundary, the western boundary of modern-day Jordan and the eastern boundary of modern-day Israel, roughly. And so Esau is going to go into modern-day Jordan. Esau is Edom, and you'll see this repeated over and over again. For this is the genealogy of Esau, the father of the Edomites in Mount Seir. And so these were the names of Esau's son, Eliphaz, the son of Ada, the wife of Esau, Reu, the son of Besma, the wife of Esau, and the sons Eliphaz and Teman and Omar and Zepho and Gatam and Kenez. And if you look at these names, it's interesting, but these are very common Arabic names, especially amongst the Bedouin peoples. And so those people that still wander the, the region uh, that is called Palestine by some, uh, but certainly encompasses the desert areas of Israel, the north of Egypt, the Sinai Peninsula, a vast majority of Jordan, you're going to find these names actually as very common uh, first names. And now Timnah was the concubine of Eliphaz, Esau's son, and she bore Amalek to Eliphaz. And so the Amalekites will also come from, from Esau's loins. And as you look at these, when we get into the rest of the Old Testament, you're going to find that the mortal enemies of the Jewish people, almost in their entirety, come out of Esau's line. So the Amalekites, the Moabites, the Edomites, all of the ites, basically, are going to come from, from Esau. And so these peoples that are surrounding now modern-day Israel were actually birthed out of Esau, so they are literally the blood brothers and sisters of the Jewish people. They are related to one another. And they're not distant relations. They are of the brother, the literal twin brother of the founder of the 12 tribes of Israel, Jacob. And so here Amalek is born to Eliphaz, and these are the sons of Adah. And these are the sons of Ruel, Nahath, Zerah, Shammah, Mizah. And these are the sons of Basma, Esau's wife. And so these are the sons of Aholimabah. What a name. How would you like it? You are Aholimabah. You've got to be careful how you say that. Be correct in your pronunciation. Esau's wife, the daughter of Anna, the daughter of Zippian, and she bore to Esau, Jeush, Jalam, and Korah. Now these are the chiefs of Edom, and this is where it starts to get interesting. Now I don't know how many of you have studied, studied royalty, specifically, you know, like 
any of the great royal families, the Habsburgs of Austria, or if you looked at, at the various ruling families of France or Great Britain. But normally if you're named a chief or a duke or an earl, you actually have some property that you preside over. In other words, you're actually, you know, like uh, the Hawaiian Islands were named after the Earl of Sandwich. You didn't know that, but uh, maybe some of you did. They were actually the Sandwich Islands. They were named after an earl and his, his county, basically, uh, in Great Britain was Sandwich. And so here you have these guys, and if you get a picture of what, look, what Palestine looks at even today, um, they would basically have to be like the duke or the earl of some, you know, baranka, some, <laughs> some wash, some wadi, because there were no cities whatsoever that these guys could actually lay claim to. These are Bedouins. So he's like the chief of this valley or the chief of that valley. Um, but it seems as though uh, there's a little, bit of a, a, a little bit of a desire here for some greatness, uh, even though it became very clear from what God said about them that the younger would serve the, or the older would serve the younger. So these are the chiefs of Edom. And these were the chiefs of the sons of Esau, the sons of Eliphaz, the firstborn to Esau, chief Taman and Omar and Zepho and Kenaz, the chief Korah and Gatam and chief Amalek. And these were the chiefs of Eliphaz in the land of Edom. And they were the sons of Ada. These were the sons of, of Reuel, Esau's son, chief Nahath, and so on and so forth. And basically everyone gets a title. So all of the names that have been previously named, every one of them now becomes a chief of something, an earl of something. They become a prince of their own little kingdom. Uh, and so these are the sons of Basma, Esau's wife. And these were the sons of Holy Bama, the Esau's wife, the chief of Jeuf, the chief of Jalem, the chief of Korah. And these were the chiefs who descended from a Holy Bama, Esau's wife the daughter of Anna, and these were the sons of Esau, who is Edom, and these were their chiefs. And so we see first that they're born, and then we see that they get titles. And so it's just giving us a, a long list of names. And now the sons of Seir. And these were the sons of Seir, the, the Horonite, who inhabited the land of Lotan, Shobal, uh, Zibion, and Anna, Deshan, Ezer, and Deshan. Um, these were the chiefs of the Horites, the sons of Seir, Seir and the land of Edom. And the sons of Lotan were Hori and Heman, and, and Lotan's sister was Temnah. Now, Temnah is an interesting uh, study when you, when you look at Temnah. Temnah actually is found in modern-day southern Israel. It's not very far from the city of Elat, uh, in the very south of modern-day Israel, uh, down on the edge of the Negev. And it will actually become uh, the place where the Egyptians and the Jewish people connect. And so when we travel there, we go to a place called Solomon's Pillars. Um, there are actually Egyptian hieroglyphs there that spell out very clearly uh, that this was one of the locations where Cleopatra uh, came and met with uh, Solomon's um, miners who mined copper in that area. And so this is another historical connection to names that still exist on a map to this day. And so Lothan's sister was Temnon. This area was named after her and her family. She settled in that area. And these were the sons of Shobal and Alvan and, and Manahath and Ebal and Sepho and Onam. For these were the sons of Zibion and Ajath and Anna. And this was Anna who found the water in the wilderness as he pastured the donkeys of his father Zibion. 
Now, this is a big deal. You know, we, we kind of run around, we turn on spigots. Uh, but when you're in the desert, finding water is a gigantic thing. And some of the most interesting areas in all of Egypt, modern day Egypt today, are where you find lots of water in the middle of nowhere. One of those would be in Gedi. Uh, when you travel to these springs where David hid himself uh, from Saul's army and he and his men are hidden in these caves and the caves are still there. You can still uh, go into those caves, but you, you walk up this dry wash and it literally is below sea level. It's over 100 degrees, a pretty good chunk of the year out there. And you walk up a canyon and here's this dry river wash and then all of a sudden out of nowhere is an 85-foot waterfall flowing into a beautiful spring uh, and, and here's this water source. And such is a lot of the water supply um, that's in that region of the world today. And so when a spring was found, um, that place was really valuable because it is extremely dry, extremely hot, and flowing water sources are almost completely non-existent save the Jordan River. And as the Jordan River descends in the Jordan River Valley, it eventually meets up with the, with the Dead Sea, uh, the, the Dead Sea is called the Dead Sea for a reason. It's dead. And so all of the water that flows into the Dead Sea, once it gets there, it becomes useless. So the only part of the Jordan that's actually useful really is the northern hundred miles or so of it. And so uh, now, now we're finding these desert nomadic people. Uh, and so these were the children of Anna, Deshaun, Aholimabah, the daughter of Anna, and these were the sons of Deshan, Hemdan, Eshban, Ithran, and Sharan. And these were the sons of Ezer, and Bilhan, and Zavan, and Actan. Um, these are the sons of Deshan, Uz, and Aaron. And these are the chiefs of the Horites, Chief Lotan, Chief Shobai, Chief Zibian, and Chief Anna, Chief Deshan, Chief Ezer, Chief Deshan. And these are the chiefs of the Horites, according to their chiefs in the land of Seir. And so, again, they name the people, then they give them all titles. It's kind of like, you're born, so you get a title. You're alive, so you're the prince of something. These are the kings who reigned in the land of Edom itself before any king reigned over the children of Israel. This is extremely important because this one sentence is borne out in history, that the children of Israel had no kings while the children of Esau had kings all over the place. And in fact, this becomes a bone of contention between the Jewish people, the Israelites, and the Edomites, so much so that if you remember in the story, all of a sudden Samuel is told by the Jewish people, we want a king. The nations around us have kings. We want a king. Who did they name as that king? Saul. And so here's this, here's this picture of the area that's surrounding the Jewish people, the land of Canaan, it's filled with princes and kings and rulers of the land and the Jewish people, it says right here, had no king yet. Bela, the son of Beor, reigned in Edom and the name of his city was Dibna. And when Bela died, Joab, the son of Zerah of Basra, another place, reigned in his place. If you go to modern-day Basra, Basra is again on the very edge of the Jordan River Valley. It's in modern-day Jordan. Uh, it's up slightly on the, the front slope or the western slope 
uh, of the mountains that are the border between, really between Jordan and the rest of the world. Uh, and, and so when Joab died, Husham in the land of Temanites reigned in his place. And when Husham died, Hadad, the son of Bedad, uh, who attacked Midian in the field of Moab. So now you have a picture of the Midianites and the Moabites. Those are both very well known to us. Of course, uh, you have the story of Gideon and the Midianites, and you have the Moabite chief and, and, and the Moabite priestess and the Moabite woman named Ruth. And so these are peoples uh, that we'll see throughout the rest of the Old Testament. And it reigned in his place, and the name of the city was Aveth, and Hadad died, and Samala and Maskara reigned in his place. And when Samala died, Raul and Rebaoth by the river reigned in his place. And so you can kind of see, each time somebody died, they didn't want to lose ground. So you named a new prince, you named a new king, you named a new ruler uh, to take over. And when Saul died, and, Baal, and Baal Hanan, the son of Achor, reigned in his place. And when Baal Hanan died... The son, or the son of Achor died, had reigned in his place, and the name of his city was Pau. And his wife's name was Methabel, and the daughter of Metrid, the daughter of Mizahab. And these were the names of the chiefs of Esau, according to their families, according to their places, their names, Chief Temna, Chief Alva, Chief Jerath, or Chief Jetheth, uh, Chief, Chief Aholimabah, uh, Chief Elah, Chief Penan, Chief Kanaz, Chief Teman, Chief Mibar, Chief Migdal, Chief Aram, and the chiefs of Edom, according to their dwelling places, the land of their possession. And Esau was the father of the Edomites. And so, why does any of this matter? That's what you're all asking right now. A bunch of unpronounceable names that we look at in English and go, wow, that's terrible. I would never name my child that. The point is this, there is an actual land of Edom and that land of Edom, though it's not called Edom today, still exists. And so what we're really looking at is who are these people who are called the Edomites? And so for you to understand that, lying in southern Jordan, uh, the location of the ancient people called the Nabataeans, those who founded the rock city of Petra, and if you look, that's the treasury in Petra. Uh, This is from a trip that we took a couple of years ago. Uh, but this this amazing uh, UNESCO World Heritage Site that, that now is uh, overseen by the Jordanian government, this place, it was a, a caravan hideout in the middle of these red mountains, and, and they are that red. Uh, when you travel there, it's very easy to see why this area would be named after the red rocks that are there, because the red rocks are everywhere. And so... This particular place stretches out for a very long distance, goes always all the way down to the Gulf of Aqaba. Um, it is a region that's extremely large. It's also very inhospitable. And so specifically, as the Nabataeans uh, inhabited, especially the, the rock city of Petra and its twin sister city about 30 miles to the north, the mountain that divides those two cities is Mount Seir. And so here are these peoples that are divided between these two cities that are held in these fortified rocks, but they are on the caravan routes that connect almost all of the rest of the Middle East to the coast over in modern-day Israel at Caesarea Maritima. And so here you have kind of the founding of of these these city-states, if you will, 
basically little communities that are made up with a thousand people or so. When you travel to, to the rock city of Petra, you have to imagine there's none of that building that's actually constructed. It is all carved out of the sandstone that exists everywhere throughout uh, the city of uh, Petra. And so when you look at the kingdom of Israel, there were two kingdoms during the, during the time of the biblical conquest and during the time that the 12 tribes exi- lived there, there was the northern kingdom that was called Israel and the southern kingdom called Judah. So in the north, you have 10 of the 12 tribes. In the south, all you have is the Levites and the tribe of Judah. And so everywhere else is basically surrounded by these people who are a blend of Esau, who is the half-brother of the 12 tribes, and the original inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites. So you have the Philistine kingdom on the coast of Gath. You have the Arab tribes. You have the kingdom of Edom, uh, which you can see the little star down there at the bottom. That is actually the modern city, which is not modern at all, but the location of the Nabataean site of Petra. And so the kingdom of Moab, the kingdom of Ammon, uh, Aram of Damascus. And so you have modern-day Syria, modern-day Jordan, modern-day Lebanon on the coast. You have this little tiny wedge um, that's actually called Israel today. And so these are the peoples that still to this day surround the Jewish people. And if anyone keeps track of world politics, you'll understand that surrounding the Jewish people is entirely a group of nations that seeks the destruction of modern-day Israel. And ever since the founding of modern-day Israel, including uh, just a few days after the modern-day founding of Israel on May 14th uh, in, in 1945, you, you have this attack all of these nations attacked Israel. You have the same thing that happens in 1967. You have the same thing that happens in 1973. You have virtually the same thing that happens in 1983. So time after time after time, these nations, which are aligned with Esau, that are actually half-brothers in a genetic sense uh, to the modern-day Jewish people, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, in other words, the original uh, 12 tribes, this is how they ended up in those locations. And so when you, when you think about the geopolitical climate of that area, now it begins to make sense why those nations that surround Israel are so hostile. They've been the sworn enemies of the Jewish people since Jacob and Esau. And while that's not true universally for every person in every country, It is true in a general sense that if you were to ask those neighbors of Israel, they would all prefer that Israel cease to exist. And so that animosity begins right here in your Bible. Who are these people? It's a good question. The Edomites. Interestingly enough, your Bible says a ton about these people. And so whether you you read from 2 Chronicles or you read from the book of Exodus or Numbers, or first or second Samuel, you're going to find that all these nations uh, that sprung up, so the Amalekites, the Hittites, uh, the Amorites, the Moabites, you're going to find out that every one of them has a beef with the children of Jacob, with the 12 tribes. They become idolaters. 
and they surround the nation of Israel. What was Israel's basic problem throughout its history as far as the Old Testament was concerned? They always married into the tribes that were adjacent to them. And then they took up the religious practices of those tribes that were adjacent to them, those city-states adjacent to them. And so eventually they became embroiled in idolatry. That idolatry comes from the ancient inhabitants of the land of Canaan. They took all those practices with them. And the children of Israel, because they were partially related to them, uh, always were trying to make allegiances with the world. Exactly what we saw this morning. You cannot love the world and love God simultaneously. And so the Jewish people have been called out to be different, to be holy. They're going to be told, be holy for I am holy, says the Lord. And they're going to keep trying to make nice and and try and work things out with their neighbors. And on one hand, you can applaud that. On the other hand, God told them don't. It doesn't work. And so you're going to see throughout the Bible that there are these lists of these, basically the sworn enemies of the Jewish people uh, that surround them. And in fact, Israel, Israel, before it has one king, Edom will have eight kings. And by the time you begin to read some of the words that are spoken against Edom, because Edom uh, is that one of those areas of the world that God has told us a ton about regarding the last days. And so uh, if you get a chance, I would encourage you to read the entire book of Obadiah. It's a small book, um, but you'll see some things. Actually, there are 10 of them, reasons that Edom ultimately, during the tribulation, is going to be one of the focal points of the wrath of God. When you travel to Israel today, there's something that strikes you because how many of you have seen or heard of the gigantic border wall fence that exists in Israel? The one that our president kind of keeps mentioning, you know, Israel has one and it works. Well, it does work. Um, But it's also 35 to 40 feet tall and it winds through city streets. It cuts off neighborhoods. It's like this incredible blockade against these people that live door to door because on one side you have Edomites. On the other side, you have the children of Jacob. And so they're right next door to each other, but they do not like each other. It's a desperate situation. And in that, these nations keep and continue to to rise up against the Jewish people. And as they rise up against the Jewish people, God says, look, these are my people. The ones that descended from Jacob. Edom, you've got a place in the world, but you need to watch yourself. And so Edom is going to be uh, prophesied against by Obadiah. Uh, that because of his violence against Jacob, he's going to be suffer the wrath of God. Because he's an enemy of Judah, he's going to suffer destruction. Uh, because he was he gave assent to those that attacked Israel, attacked Jacob, that he's going to be ultimately wiped out. He's going to be looked down on. Uh, that Edom has has always stood in the crossways of of trying to work a way to destroy uh, the line of Jacob. And where this gets interesting is in our geopolitical uh, climate today because it is in fact Jordan that controls both the Temple Mount and East Jerusalem. So it is Edom that controls part of Jerusalem and the actual Temple Mount itself. And while it's the Quaf, it's this religious Islamic ruling group of, of imams that actually controls 
who goes on the Temple Mount and the mosques that are there because there is no Jewish temple. There's just Islamic mosques. And so Dome of the Chain, the Al-Aqsa Mosque, uh, the Dome of the Rock Mosque, the, the Al-Sharif. Uh, so you, you, have, you have this constant tension between Edom and Jacob. And it exists dead in the epicenter of the city that God has called the city of peace. And so you have this giant wall. You transit through it. And you can see the poverty on the, what is called the West Bank side of it. And you can see the prosperity on the Jewish side of it. On the Jacob side. So this fight still goes on. What you have here is a bit of Semitic history. And so a vast majority, in fact, of the modern-day Islamic nations, especially those that surround Israel, um, have have come actually as brothers, full-blood brothers uh, to Jacob. Deuteronomy 23, verse 7 says this, For you shall not abhor an Edomite, for he is your brother. You shall not abhor an Egyptian, because you were an alien in his land. And the children of the third generation born to them may enter into the assembly of the Lord. And so God actually makes reference to the fact that the Jewish people are related directly to the Edomites. The, the 12 tribes that come from Jacob are actually related uh, to, to Esau. And so Isaac, though he pronounced that he was going to die back in chapter 24, uh, has finally passed on the scene and, and a vast majority of what we're going to see in the remainder of the book of Genesis actually pertains to the life of Joseph. But this history as it, as it unfolds before us and we see this throughout uh, the book of Kings, First and Second Samuel, you see it in the book of Exodus, is this tension that existed from that day to this. So you have roughly uh, 3,500 years of history of the Jewish people of the tribe of Jacob and the Jewish people, in essence, of the tribe of Esau at odds one with another. So anybody that thinks it is going to go away anytime soon, um, the Bible says that there's going to be strife until the Lord actually solves it. That in fact it's going to take an intervention by the Lord that we know is the tribulation before that is actually solved in all Israel, according to Romans 11, uh, would become saved. Uh, and so Isaac's death is going to change Jacob's status. He's now the head of the family. He's also going to inherit the covenant blessings. And, and so these six lists of names, you have sons, you have chiefs, and you have kings. Um, basically, is God just telling us, look, they, they planned on staying. They, they set up an absolute authoritarian uh, type of government in the region to the point that's like, that's the king of this canyon, this is the king of that canyon, this is the prince of that area. And no matter where you went, if you were of the 12 tribes, you were surrounded by far more and far wealthier people. In other words, they were surrounded in number, they were surrounded by wealth, they were surrounded by livestock, and basically, the, the Jewish people were left to do exactly one thing, and that was depend on God. They were outnumbered, outgunned. They, Esau had larger bank accounts. And, and the bottom line is, is Esau actually had the help of the rest of the 
known world at that time, which was gathered around them. And so Esau now moves east from Canaan into modern-day Jordan. And you kind of see uh, how these people uh, come about. And, and as the name Edom comes actually from a Semitic uh, word, it, a- it actually means red, but it's really named after the, the mountains that are there, which are red. And so it just pertains to that area that includes modern-day Petra. But there's an interesting thing that happens. Um, Actually, the first recordation of one of these people uh, is in Matthew chapter 2. And you all know it uh, because when Messiah was about to be born, there was a certain king, his name was Herod, who was an Idumean. And most people, when they think Idumean, what is that? Well, an Idumean was half Jewish and half Edomite. And so those people, in essence, became related in a complete way. And so that great king was none other than great King Herod. King Herod was a master builder. Uh, He was responsible for Masada. He's responsible for Caesarea Maritima on the coast. He's responsible for Machaerus. He was responsible for rebuilding the temple itself and covering it with gold uh, because he was half Jewish, in other words, half Jacob, and half Esau. And here's why the Romans thought this was a great idea. Because now you have all the former inhabitants of the land of Canaan intermarried with those who are actually in the land now, the Jewish people, the 12 tribes. And so this is an ideal king to them. So the great king Herod becomes uh, the first of these Idumean rulers known as the Herods. Uh, And when people say King Herod, there actually was not one, there was not two, there was not three, there was actually four Herods. Um, We know of the history of three of of them. Uh, And so uh, Ezekiel chapter 35 actually begins this uh, pronouncement of judgment on this particular group of people who uh, lived on Mount, in Mount Seir, which is the, the rough location of Herod's um, fortress palace at, at Machaerus. And, and it ultimately says in the very last days that God himself, because the Jewish people are under attack, uh, they're in Ezekiel 35, as you rejoiced over the inheritance of the house of Israel because it was desolate, so I will deal with you. You shall be desolate. Mount Seir and Edom and all of it, and then they will know that I am the Lord. So there is a day coming that the Lord himself is actually going to deal with what we would call modern-day Jordan, the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan, and deal, deal with the people for what they've done to Israel. And so that day is still yet future. In 47 BC, Julius Caesar promoted uh, this Idumean Antiper, which is a, a type of a governor or ruler, is a procurator of Judea and Samaria and Galilee. Uh, in 37 BC, Romans named uh, Herod, the son of, of Antiper. Uh, this, he's now actually the actual king of the area. And so all of the Herods in the New Testament, the first of them tries to kill Jesus. Amen? The next of them beheads John the Baptist. Amen? What happens to the next one? Kills James, the brother of John. So you can see that that tension that began 1,500 years earlier continued right up to the day of Jesus, and it continues to this day. 
During the 67 war, when the Jewish people finally liberated Jerusalem, Moshe Dan stands on the Temple Mount. 24 hours later, the Knesset actually gives the Temple Mount back to, to the Jordanians. And the reason they do so was for peace. They're trying to make peace. Because on the Temple, temple Mount by this time, instead of the temple that was built by Herod, when you traveled to Israel today, and when you're standing at the western wall, the wall that you know is the Wailing Wall, generally speaking, when you look at the bottom 13 rows of stones, which go below the plaza that you currently stand on, when you go and watch the Orthodox Jewish people um, pray before the wall, it's the most holy place in all of Judaism, those 13 rows of stones are all that's left from when Jesus said, there will not be a single stone left one on top of another until the times of the Jewish people are complete. So, so those rows of stones were from the time of Herod. They're actually Herodian stones. And so this Idumean ruler is actually responsible for allowing the temple to reach its most beautiful state that it ever reached. Uh, He's the one that enlarged it. He's the one that beautified it. He's the one that coated the eastern doors of it with gold. Uh, He's the one that was responsible. But it was all a ploy to try and buy good favor with the people that there was still a very high degree of dislike and even hatred between them. So five centuries of history didn't change that. Um, By the time Messiah comes, you have all these Ijumean kings and Uh, It's just still a mess. And so the final thing that we'll really take a look at tonight is is Edom and prophecy. And if you want to turn to the book of Obadiah, I'm one of the minor prophets. So if you turn there to chapter one, um, you can kind of see how God takes this and and then expands upon it. He says, look, this is the way it's going to go down in the very last days because this is still unresolved. This is is still a picture of the way the, the Middle East as we know it, Israel specifically, but Jordan and Syria, Lebanon, um, and what we call the Gaza Strip today, which is actually the ancient location of the Philistines of Gath, um, and then northern Egypt, which Egypt actually has a peace treaty with Israel currently. Actually, Jordan does as well, um, but it's not peaceful. It was interesting when I was, we were on a bus and we to get into Jordan from Israel is a little bit difficult. It actually takes a very long period of time for you to get across the border because there's multiple border checks and and as you're traveling. So we get on a bus and we're heading towards Petra, which is about uh, three and a half hours north uh, of modern-day Elat. So down down as, as the Red Sea comes up and meets the, the two countries there. And as you're traveling across, I'm talking to our Jordanian tour guide, And I happened to mention to him, so how do you feel about Israel? And you could tell he was very, very, very uneasy. This is a Jordanian Christian, by the way. And so I began to kind of just make conversation with him. You know, what do you think about Israel and their right to be in the land and all those kind of things? And he says they don't have a right to be in the land. And I looked at him. I I said, as a Christian believer, you think that the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob don't have a right to be in the land? He said, yes. And I said, you realize that you're related to them, correct? And he was like furious, like the conversation ended. And he said, we are not related. He said, where did you get that? And I said, the Bible. I said, I believe you came from Esau. And Esau is the twin brother of Jacob. And Jacob is the Jacob 
of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that makes you directly related to the Jewish people. He's like threw his hands up in the air. He didn't know what to say. I said, you're actually brothers. Why is there a problem? Israel is wealthy. Israel exerts power. Israel is this little tiny country that sits between a whole bunch of Arab countries that are largely the descendants of Esau. And yet there's this animosity that's palpable. You talk and it's like, mm, oh, no, 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 no. That's not going to work out well. And then he began to tell me how that that was Palestine. And I said, well, who called it Palestine? He said, we did. I said, oh, no, you didn't. I said, you might want to look in your history. That land was not known as Palestine until the emperor Hadrian called it Palestine because he needed to give it a name because he didn't want to call it the land of the Jews. He said, oh, no, 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 no. So I see him on his smartphone. He's Googling it. (laughs) All I hear is, ah, ah, It's like, truth hurts. And so he comes back and he says, so where did you learn this? I said, my Bible. He says, has that been in there all the time? I said, yep. (laughs) I said, there's copies of that in the Dead Sea Scrolls. He said, really? And so he started thinking about his role as a Christian believer in a predominantly Muslim country that hates Israel, even though there's a peace treaty. And so it's very clear that what God says about that ongoing animosity, now listen to Obadiah. This is the vision of Obadiah. And thus says the Lord God concerning Edom. For we have heard a report from the Lord. A messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise, let us rise up for her for battle. And in some ways, people will look at this and say, Well, you know, Jordan's risen up against Israel a number of times, or the land of Edom. Uh, arise and, and rise up against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the na- nations. You should be greatly despri- despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You'll dwell in the clefts of the rock. Interesting, when you travel to Jordan, about the only place you can dwell is in the clefts of the rock. If you've ever seen the pictures of the Wadi Musa, if you've watched any of the Star Wars movies, those desert scenes were most of them filmed in the Wadi Musa in Jordan. Uh, It's desert. Whose habitation is on high, and you will say in your heart, who will bring me down to the ground? Though you will ascend on high as the eagles, though you will set your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, says the Lord. The Lord one day is going gonna, is gonna to deal with this because there is an exaltation. Just like I was talking with this guy who's his tour guide. It's like, man, the Bible says that if you would just surrender these things, God would relent. In the book of Malachi, in chapter 1 there in Malachi, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. Yet in what way have you loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, and Esau I have hated. And laid waste to his mountains and to his heritage for jackals of the wilderness. And even though Edom has said, we have been impoverished, 
We will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts that they may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called the territory of wickedness. And these are the people against the Lord will have, or the people against whom the Lord will have indignation forever. And when you look at the land today, and when you travel, you, you can't help but, but get a sense. It's like when, when you look at what's going on in Israel, and then you look at what's going on in southern Lebanon, or you look at what's going on in Syria, you look at what's going on in Jordan, or you look at what's going on in the Gaza Strip, or you look at what's going on in the West Bank, there is a marked difference between these places. And yet when you look at Israel's government, more than a third of the members of the Knesset are Arabs. Almost one-third of the Israeli national budget for taking care of indigent people and those with need goes to Arab people. They spend a vast majority of their money, a very disproportionate relative to the income that comes in, on taking care, basically, of their neighbors. And yes, there is all kinds of rocket fire that comes their way and all of those things where they respond militarily. But God has said, look, I'm going to preserve the Jewish people and one day I'm going to deal with Edom. And when you look at the land today, it is mind-boggling. The the difference between the two economies, the difference between the prosperity of the countries. And so when God speaks these things, he is going to do it. Jeremiah also speaks of the coming judgment of Edom, as does Ezekiel there in Ezekiel 35. And the problem could be easily solved if the Edomites would just remember that they're actually the brothers and the sisters of the Jewish people. But they're not going to relent. They won't do it. When you travel through the Jordan River Valley, there is literally a no man's land filled with mines all along the Jordan River, both sides. And so as you're, as you're traveling, you're looking, it's like, man, why would anyone put a minefield next to the only flowing river in all of the Middle East in this region? Well, it's the border of Israel and Jordan. When we do our baptisms in the southern Jordan, we're standing on the Israeli side. And on the Israeli side are Israeli sh- soldiers with body armor, with automatic weapons, with rocket launchers. And on the other side are Jordanian guards, exactly the same way, at a baptismal site. It's not like, you know, there's going to be an uprising of baptisms. Well, we baptize for John. No, we baptize. And by the way, the, the River Jordan is about 50 feet wide at that point. I mean, I can, I can bean one of them with a rock from the other side. That's no problem. Why? Because that animosity still exists. Exactly what Scripture said. God loves Jacob, but Esau. I have disliked about as much as you can dislike a group of people because of what they've done to Jacob. It could have been our brothers, basically, but they've chosen to be our enemies instead. So this is the family history of the rejected line of Esau. And when you look at it from an anthropological or an ethnology uh, standpoint, it just provides a backdrop for what's going on in the Middle East today. 
And so God speaks of the, the time that is yet to come, the time when Edom will be an object of his wrath. And of course, when you, when you get to the end of all of this, if you remember part of the covenant blessing, God said, I will bless those who bless you, but I will curse those who curse you. That has not changed. So any nation that's against Israel, God's against. And you may not like that. You know, there are people who say, oh, I can't believe that's true. Well, it's true. Because the Bible says it's true. And so whether people like to acknowledge it or not, or world politics and the way it's shaped in, in our day and time, wants to say, well, you know, Israel needs to give up more land. No, actually the land is, is God's. Joel chapter 1, 2, and 3 actually remind us of whose land it actually is. It's God's land. God gave it to the Jewish people, and he is going to come against those who try and take that land from him because he gave it to the Jewish people. And he said, so I gave it to them in perpetuity. In other words, it belongs to them forever. It's not something that's conditional. That land belongs to God. He gave it to the Jewish people. And anyone that tries to boot them out ends up on the wrong side of God. And so when you look at the history of the wars that have been fought in modern-day Israel, guess who won each time? It's one nation. It's Israel. And every time, they're outnumbered. 10 to 1, 15 to 1, more than 100 to 1 in a couple of instances. And what happens? God's their defense. God preserves Israel. It looks like it's going to go really bad for them. And all of a sudden... Russian tanks can no longer target the, the tanks that were purchased by the Israelis from the British uh, because they can't target while they're moving, and the British centurion tanks can. And so you have 50 tanks defeat 1,000 tanks. You have opportunity there in the Valley of Oz when you look at the history of the, especially the 73 Yom Kippur War. Here, here comes... This mass assault, over 10,000 pieces of armor come from southern Syria into the Golan Heights and defending it as one battalion of Israeli soldiers. They have less than 100 pieces of armor. And guess who wins? It's not the Syrians. With all of their massive Russian army, our Russian armor, it's the Jewish people. God's going to protect them. His word says that from the time that they go back into the land, they will never be removed again until the Lord comes. So expect that there's going to be some difficulties in the Middle East. Inspect, inspect it, uh, the, the world situation and look at it and see if the Bible isn't true. Because what the Bible says about what's happening there right now, it, you, you, can, you can look at the newspaper headlines and go, Yep, that's what God said. Finally, in Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Now, one day when all these things get worked out, everybody will be brought to peace because Messiah will come, the Prince of Peace will come, and he's going to take care of all that animosity, and, and the salvation of national Israel will come. It's exactly as Romans 11 tells us. But until then... Jacob and Esau are going to keep button heads. You can count on that. And while there's a peace treaty, there's not exactly peace because your Bible says so.
Amen? Would you stand and we'll close in prayer. Father, we thank you that you're in control of all things. And Lord, while you have made a pronouncement on this on this group of people, Lord, you didn't do so blindly, and it certainly doesn't mean that those who are of Edom, of Esau, can't repent and be saved and, Lord, walk in the truth because our salvation is, is one at a time as we come to know you personally. And so we pray, Lord, for those nations that surround Israel, for those Christians that are in those countries to rise up, Lord, and to preach the gospel, to be saved and to get out of the way so that when these difficult times actually do come, Lord, that they're prepared. Lord, you'd spare the innocent. God, that you'd keep safe those who are in harm's way. And Father, as those missiles fly from the Gaza Strip and from the Golan Heights, and Lord, as Israel is constantly defending itself, we pray that you would be their strength and shield and strong tower and portion and mighty one. Lord, you're really their iron dome. Lord, you're their patriot battery. Lord, you're the one that alone watches over your children night and day. And so, God, we thank you for that in our own lives. And we pray that you would bring peace, Lord. But we know that that's going to come when the Prince of Peace comes. And so we pray to that end, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. It's in your name we pray. Amen.